trickle in this beautiful morning where it's uh, lovely outside for a cha- finally. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you will, and uh, we're going to get started here in verse 26 uh, today. Uh, so we'll just start reading there and then uh, get into the section. Verse 26, for ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Now, I uh, was hoping to maybe this morning we could finish the chapter. That ain't going to happen, okay? So we're just going to go as far as we can, and then uh, we'll pick up, probably get the last two verses next time, as I want to take apart verse 30. But last time, we were looking, we, we saw those two primary sources, avenues of opposition. Uh, back up in verse uh, 20, where is the wise, where is the scribe, where is the disputer of this world? Hath God not made foolishness the wisdom of this world? Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. And we talked about the two primary sources of opposition to the preaching of the cross, uh, what, what, is, what Paul in Ephesians 2 calls the course of this world. The first area is the wise. That's the Greeks. And again, the Greeks are Gentiles, but it's the Greeks as far as the educated side. In Romans 1, Paul talks about the barbarians. That's the uneducated element. Barbarians and then the Greeks and Scythians and so forth. And the Greeks are the educated. So, the first source of uh, opposition to the preaching of the cross, the preaching of the truth, comes through the Greeks, the wise, human intellect, human wisdom, the philosophers, the philosophies, and all of those, those, those things. And then the scribe, that's the Jews, that's the religious element. So you have the, the scribes, you have the wise, you have the Greeks, you have the Jews, you have human wisdom, and then you have religion. And you have uh, theologies and, and the seminaries and stuff like that. Now, in verse 20, where he says, where is the disputer of this world? The disputer, that's the hired gun. That's the guy hired by the Greeks or the Jews to come in and to articulate, or, or he's the, that professional or, uh, orator, come in and win the case and prove the point. So these two primary sources, the Greeks, the Jews, the wise, the scribe, philosophy, human wisdom, and religion, are, are how the world opposes the preaching of the cross, the preaching of the truth. And what Paul is going to do, verse 26 now, is he's going he's to demonstrate out the Corinthians' folly. They had, fought, they had fallen for the valuing of human wisdom over God's wisdom. Trying to, they're trying to get to God the way man's wisdom thinks 
rather than the way God has set forth to get there. And again, it's an interesting thing when you think about here are the Corinthians and they kind they go after that human idea again Corinth Greek the culture the Greek culture the the philosophers the Stoics the Epicureans uh, Aristotle and Socrates and all of the great philosophers and that bent toward human wisdom by the way you ought to take the book of Ecclesiastes sometime and read it about a hundred times and then go look at the philosophers and you know what you find the philosophers. Para, uh, plagiarized the book of Ecclesiastes. It's very interesting. Uh, all of the major ideas and thoughts come right out of Ecclesiastes, and yet these guys take it and, and just make it their own, and they don't give God the credit and so forth. But the point here with Paul, verse 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now, there's, there's a lot going on in verse 26, so we're just going to kind of work through it. You have to be careful with verse 26 not to allow the Calvinist ideas to hijack that word called, okay? Because what they say is that God and his sovereign will predestinated some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. So the called go to heaven and the not called go to hell. Okay, the problem is, is that's not what Paul's referring to here in this passage. By the way, they use this passage quite a bit, actually. All right, the calling here, the you, uh, for you see your calling, verse twenty-seven. But God has chosen that chosen the calling has nothing to do with justification unto eternal life. By the way, the choosing, the elect, that word elect, has nothing to do with your salvation, your justification. It has everything to do with service. You see, God doesn't call. The, the people that Paul's talking about here are people who are already saved people. The Corinthians are saints. They're already saved. God doesn't call people to justification unto eternal life and a predestinated mentality thought. That's theological, that's theologian terminology. Rather, how, we're, how does God call the sinner? Come over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's interesting. I showed this to a brother one time. I call him a brother because he gave a clear testimony of salvation and then he got into Calvinism doctrine and notice, it's very interesting, Second Thessalonians 2, you have this great chapter about the career of the adversary, the Antichrist. Paul gives one of the most detailed chapters here of the Antichrist, his rise, his career, his activity, outside of the book of Daniel and the book of the Revelation. It sits right here, verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. And they go, see, look, he chose you to salvation. Salvation from what, though? See, salvation in the passage has nothing to do with your eternal life. Salvation, to be rescued from harm and distress. 
He chose you before the, from the beginning, chosen you to what? To salva salvation from what? In the context. The adversary, the wrath to come, the 70th week of Daniel. See. Verse 14, whereunto he called you by what? Our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, how were you called? By, by the gospel. What did you do? You heard the gospel, you heard the word of truth, and then you believed it. You believed the gospel. That's how you get justified. That's how you get saved. Now, when you come back to 1 Corinthians 1, Paul here is not talking about, he's, see how, you see your calling, brethren, to, to justification to eternal life. Not at all. By the way, if you think elect, this is my pet peeve. Come back to Isaiah 42 with me. If you think that elect, election, predestination, all has to do in any shape, way, or form to justified unto eternal life, you have a problem, a major problem, doctrinally with Isaiah 42, verse 1. Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Matthew chapter number 3 says that that is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you believe that election or elect has to do with justification, you just made the Lord Jesus Christ a sinner. You just put him in the pit, in the armpit of hell as, his only de as, as a destiny. The Lord Jesus Christ is not a sin. He was made to be sin who knew no sin. You see, you got a major problem if you take the Calvinistic idea that God, before the world began, predestinated the elect to justification unto eternal life because what's that verse say? The Father just said, mine elect, my son. See, election always has to do with service, never justification. Because if, that, if it's justification, not only do you have a problem with Isaiah 42, you got a problem with the issue of, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law, Romans 3. Now, go back to 1 Corinthians. Now, so in, but how do you know that from 1 Corinthians? Well, chapter 1. <laughs> you see, that get, I get a little worked up because people use that terminology not knowing that they put the Lord in jeopardy because if it's, if it's good for me, it's going to be good for him, too, because he's what? He's man. He was made a little lower. He took on my humanity. So then guess what? He then took that, too. But that isn't what Scripture teaches. 1 Corinthians 1, when Paul says, For you see your calling, brethren. Isn't that interesting? He called you what? Brethren, already saved. If you look back up at verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that were before the foundation of the world chosen unto eternal life. No, that what? That believed. You see, the called are already saved. They've already believed. And when you believe and you're placed into Christ, you're placed into the church, the body of Christ, God has predestined some activity, some things for you and I to take, to go and to do and to perform. And by the way, predestiny, destination predetermined, 
Where are we headed? Heavenly places. That's predetermined. The lost do not have their destiny predetermined yet. Why? Because they can move from being lost to being saved. Their, deter- their, their destiny is determined at the moment that they die. Are they in Christ or in Adam? Where are they? See? You got, again, I, you, there's great... So the calling here. God takes those who are saved, already believed, and calls them to something. Calls them for something. There's a service that we need to understand here. What is our calling? No, no, brethren, see your calling. What is that? Well, look down at verse 30. But of him are ye, where? In Christ Jesus, who of God, Christ, is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Who made unto... This is the calling that Paul's going to begin to talk about. Come back in chapter 1. Come back up to verse 9. You see, the calling isn't, you better get saved or else. That's the gospel. That's, that's the, okay? Rather, it's since you are saved, there's something that God has called you to be. Where do you be? You be in Christ who God made unto us wisdom, righteous, sanctification, and so forth. See, Now look at verse 9. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The fellow, what have we been called unto? The fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Fellowship, you understand, fellows in a ship. If you're ever in a boat, what do you do? You share everything in common, don't you? You don't have, you know, when the food's running out, everybody's got the ration. and We share in common. And literally what's happening here in, as Paul is going to answer human wisdom with God's wisdom is he's like, look, guys, you should be looking at what we share in common. What do we share in common? Verse 30. Actually, who do we share in common? Christ Jesus. But what about him? He's our wisdom, he's our righteousness, our sanctification, and redemption. You see, God has called us into the fellowship, and that is what we share in common, is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when he says, see your, and now you see your calling, Paul is going to emphasize the calling as opposed to what the mighty, the wise, and the noble are going to be doing. Where am I going to be looking for, for my information? I'm going to be looking for it over here in the Lord Jesus Christ, not over here in this other stuff. So the calling here has, again, nothing to do with justification. It has everything to do with service, my activity now. We're already saved. Rather, now we have something to go, we have something that we're being called into, and that's that glorious fellowship that's found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has made literally everything for us, okay? Everything that God intended for you and I to enjoy, the spiritual blessings, they're found where? In heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. So the calling here, for you see your calling, brethren, that, that has nothing to do with justification unto eternal life. God hasn't determined who goes to heaven or hell. That's left up to the individual. 
Romans 3 has been clear about that. It's unto all, made available to everybody, but it's upon all them that believe. It's available, you have to do it, you have to believe, trust it. But yet what Paul's going to do here now is he's going to demonstrate that the value system of the world, the opinion of the world, the perception of the world in all of this is, no, wise, noble, and mighty, the three. Those who are wise, those who are mighty, verse 26, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. The wise, the mighty, and the noble, they will never attain unto spiritual understanding. They will never gain spiritual perception because, they, because these three categories pursue understanding not in the way that God has revealed it, but rather in the way that man has revealed it. And that's what Paul is going to begin to do. God has revealed, revealed the truth in such a manner that it brings to you some spiritual understanding. The world, the course of the world, doesn't do that. And literally what Paul to the Corinthians, to, to you and I, is look at yourself. The wisdom of this, they, the, the wise, the mighty, the noble, the flesh, they're consumed with human wisdom, human intellect, human value. And guess what happens? They can never attain to spiritual understanding. Okay? And you've seen that if you pay attention to what's going on in the world. Oprah was the big, actually it wasn't Oprah. It, you guys remember Phil Donahue? Yeah, go back a little bit. Phil Donahue was the first, he was the pre-Oprah. He was the first one, Roman Catholic, to say, you're your own God. You decide for you what's right and wrong. Nobody else can do that. You can. Oprah picked that up. And now there's a spiritualization issue there with Oprah. But you know what Oprah said? Same thing. They've turned the truth of God into a lie. They're serving the who? The creature more than the creator. That's all. She just popularized it. Phil popularized uh, What's the doctor now? Dr. Phil? Doctor, not Dr. Oz. Dr. Phil. Psych, psychoanalyze everything. Your mother made you do it. Your daddy made no sin made you do that. See, but they don't. But see, that's too simplistic. We have to have what? We have to justify the big salary I'm making. So we got to have it. See that that you watch that stuff. You remember Jerry Springer? Duke it out, Jerry. You know, you just boom boom, and everybody loose. But that's you and I looked at that and went, what? What stupidity? But see, the world looks at you and I and says the same thing. Because the world thinks that's high entertainment. That's the way you get to spiritual enlightenment. God's word, Paul here, no. That's not how you're going to achieve that. The wise. Think, so for you, you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now, again, this is not a strike against higher education and bettering yourself and going and through that, okay? The wise, those who are drawn to human intellect, those who are drawn to the philosophy, the, the philosophy system of the world, 
Okay? We have seen, you'll never know God this way. But yet, what do they do? We've, we're enlightened. They've, they're trying to comprehend God, attain to understanding God in, in, in a human in philosophy, intellect manner. Human intellect is never the way to discern spiritual truth. And that's Paul's point. The wise after the flesh. You'll never get there that way. Again, the Corinthian culture, where are they? <laughs> they have a high value on human wisdom. And it's dangerous to try and gain spiritual truth via human wisdom. It ultimately will lead to failure. The way the world operates here, that's why he says, not many wise men after the flesh. The way that the world operates is not the way that God operates and reveals truth. The mighty, that, that's, the, uh, that's, the inf that's the movers and shakers. That's the influential ones. Those, that's the ones that are, are in power, the power brokers, they call them. The ones that when they speak, things move. Mighty, noble, those who are culturally refined, those who are, who are in, in the upper class, they're moving up. They don't, we don't go over here because that's low class. We're up here in the high class. And this division... All three areas, all it does is bring self-love, self-prominence, self-status in the world. I was watching a TV show, as I tend to do from time to time, and it's a political show. And in there, they're like, hey, you have to meet this guy because if you get his endorsement, then all these doors open and all this money. So they're talking to the guy in the, in the, in the TV, and it's all made up. It's TV. Okay, And sure enough, the guy gets his endorsement, and you know what? He wins the presidency off of the word of one man. That's the, the noble, one man, the mighty. So what Paul is talking here, not many of those in these areas are going to respond positively to the preaching of the cross. Why? Because they have a different thought level. They have a different value system. Again, it's not that God's against them. He died for them, see. But when you come up and you preach the cross to them, when you preach Christ crucified or you preach the truth, you know what's going to happen? They're going to shut you down because it doesn't match their alma mater. That doesn't match their ideas. It doesn't match. And Paul says, you see those guys? Not many. I love that. Not many. doesn't say not any. It says many. Why? Because it takes, a, it takes a tremendous amount to tear down that human thought. The system of the world doesn't lead anyone to an understanding of the, preach of the preaching of the cross. They actually are vehemently opposed to what God is doing. And it goes against how the world operates, so they oppose it. When I was working at the grocery store many years ago, in the produce department, there was a gentleman there, actually come to find out, he was from Chicago. He owned White Hand Pantry in Chicago at the time. It was like our Circle Ks. They were everywhere. And he owned the one right around the corner from where we lived. And I actually, I never recognized him as a young child, but he, we got to talking. But he believed in reincarnation. And he believed in every, he come back at different planes and so forth. And we had great conversation about it. 
and uh, I'd give him the gospel, and he said, I already know all that. I don't need that. I don't believe in that mythical stuff, that fantasiful stuff. It's all fantasy. It's all made up. And I said, well, it's in God's word. He goes, oh, that Bible, uh, you know, you know, man just wrote that. And I said, well, do you have a Bible? He goes, oh, yeah, and he, pulled, he brought his Bible in. It's a book written by a woman. By the way, he believed women should be pregnant and in the kitchen. Typical male chauvinist, boom, typical Chicago Italian, if you will, okay, because <laughs> that's who he was. But that's, and I said, but you have your Bible. Can I take it and read it? Oh, no, you can't. It's the only copy I have. <laughs> I'm like, well, here, you can have my Bible because I got three more in the truck, you know. And, but the conversation got great conversation. First guy I'd ever met that believed in that stuff until 9-11 happened. And then when 9-11 happened, I worked that evening. We watched all the events in the day, you know, in the morning. I went to work. Actually, I called the store. Are you still open? You know, because they're, they were, you know, if you said boo, they would jump and skitter up the, you know, it was just unreal how skit, skitsy they were about just anything. Somebody's got a, a cold. Boo, oh, no, close down. And it's like, come on, really? You know. So they're like, yeah. So I go in and this gentleman meets me at the door, literally. I'm clocking in. He goes, I got to talk to you. He goes, see, your God did. I said, my God didn't do that. I said, your God did that. He goes, what do you mean? My, I said, you believe everybody comes back at different planes. And I said, sinful men did a sinful act. And he's like, well, is God getting us? I said, no, I'm glad you asked. So we sat down and talked, you know. But I was back in the department, and all the guys are standing around now going, hey, what's going on? Is God getting? And I'm like, no, God's not. Turn all that stupidity off. And I literally took the right division chart and showed it to them and showed them how God was working. And you know what they all said? That makes sense. Well, yeah, past, present, and future does make sense. It's logical. But they missed the spiritual implication of all of it because I gave the gospel, and they're like, Rick, you don't, don't do that. We, we don't believe that. I go, you just believe the past, present, and future, but you don't believe that Christ died. No, why? Because the world doesn't think that way. By the way, sitting in there was an incarnation guy, a Jewish man, two Roman Catholics, and an atheist. So we had the world represented right there. Actually, the atheist is the one that told me that all roads lead back to God. I said, but you don't believe in God. Oh, a higher power, a higher being. Oh, okay. What's Paul doing here? Not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Call, again, called not to justification because justification is available to everybody. It's applied to, and, 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 and uh, I just had the accounting word, <laughs> imputed to them that believe. God isn't against them. He just says, when you look around to who's participating in the fellowship of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, it isn't those that are running those areas of human wisdom. Because it's been ingrained in them so much that when you come up and you preach that there is a God, that he did send his son to die on you, and he tells us about it in a book, you know what you look like? You look foolish. And the and the system of the world doesn't lead anyone to an understanding or an appreciation of the preaching of the cross. That's why when you do witness to people, you got to get them lost. 
They don't even know they're lost. And I, ta- I told you when we started 1 Corinthians in this section here, Paul says that when we preach the cross of Christ, we have to preach it with all of its ugliness, with all of its violence, with all of its offensiveness. And that includes telling people they're sinners on their way to hell. We know the world doesn't like that. You're offense, But that's what you need. Why? Because it's startling. It's, it's a punch in the gut to wake you up. These guys don't get, the world doesn't operate this. Now, now watch verse 27. First two words, but God. <laughs> you got to love the but gods. Here's how God's working. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Notice what God's doing. What's he going to do? He's going to use, he's chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. He's chosen the weak things to confound the mighty. And he's chosen the base things and the things which are despised. And that's going to deal with the noble guy. See, he's chosen some things here. Now, when he says this here about the weak and uh, the, um, the foolish and the weak and the base things, he's not talking about you and I in the church, in the body. Okay, He's not saying that the, church, uh, the, the body of Christ is foolish, weak, base, despised. He's talking about in a parallel situation here. How does the... The way that the world views the body is what? Foolish, weak, base, despised. So what did he do? He says, God chose those areas. The the way that the world views the body of Christ, the believer today. The believer today, is the body of Christ is not valued. It's not held in high regard. So what God has chosen to use is, Instead of using the areas of human wisdom, all of those approaches, uh, come over to chapter 2. Paul develops it out more here in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man. You see, human, human intellect, human wisdom, human, won't get it done. Eye gate, ear gate, heart gate, doesn't get it done. They're not able to understand the things which God has prepared for them that love him. You see, human is, humanity will never, human wisdom will never result in knowing and understanding the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Now, verse 10, never read 9 without reading verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man. But who? So if I want to know the things of God, who do I need to have? I need to have the Spirit of God. How do I get the Spirit of God? I, I get justified. See? And when I get justified, then he calls me to a fellowship in who I am in Christ with other like-minded believers. 
That's why that calling is not justification. That calling is service where you're living. What has God chosen to use? Instead of using the areas of human wisdom, all of the, the approaches, those approaches never result in man knowing God. Rather, what has he done? God, God's communicating truth in such a way that you can never rely on human wisdom, human intellect, human philosophy, tradition, religion, etc. Rather, you have to come to it the way God. So verse 27, and again, what, God's, or what Paul's getting at here, the foolish things, the weak things, the base things, the despise, those are references to the content of the gospel, the content of preaching of the cross. Verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The content of the gospel to the world is what? Foolish. Again, what's the world view? The world estimate, estimation of what God is communicating is nothing more than a funny, superstitial, fan, mythical belief in a mythical book about a mythical God. Don't you know we all started with the Big Bang? See, and I just, and so they, the world looks at it. And again, if you're in the air, if you're operating and functioning in the areas of human wisdom, even as a believer, guess what you're going to end up doing? You're going to go after information that is wrong, it's detrimental to your spiritual health. And that's what's happened at Corinth. That's what will happen to you and I if we leave the way God's communicating. The wise, the mighty, the noble. Who th These three categories, so, so think about this. We've got the Greeks, the wise. We've got the scribes, the Jews. And now we've got the wise, the mighty, and the noble. We've got five different avenues here, if you will. And they exalt their own ability, their own capabilities. And they'll never, they will always oppose the preaching of the cross as a foolish thing. That's why he says, God have chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. The very means that God uses to communicate truth goes against the way the world thinks you are to arrive at truth. The world today believes there's no absolute truth. Truth is relative. God says, no, it's not. It's absolute. And it's what I tell you. You see, the world's way of arriving at truth looks at God's way at arriving at truth and calls it inferior. Says, that's not the way. You guys have it backwards. You think that you're going to gain spiritual wisdom via the course of the world. That's how you're going to get there. God says, no, I'm going to use the very things that the world deems inferior, weak, foolish, base, despise. And I'm going to take that, and that's where I'm communicating. That's where truth resides. That's what he's doing in verse 27 and 28. He says, hey, you know what? The world out there, they look at these things and they think that's the way it ought to operate. God says, no, I'm, I, I'm actually going the other direction. 
And he does, and you understand that by the end of verse 28, because he says some, uh, the language here, the end of verse 28, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Now, think about that. Things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Now, think of things that are not. So, if is it there or isn't it? See? Well, yes and no. Things that are. This, this, fra- this sentence, the, the phrasing here at the end, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to, to naught the things that are, this explains how God has chosen to reveal himself. He's not using the method of human wisdom to reveal himself. He's doing it his way. Now, let's, let, we're going to dissect it here. We've got 20 minutes to do this, okay? 25. We get it done. Things that are, what are that in the context? What are the things that are in the context? Well, the Jew, the Greek, the wise, the scribe, the mighty, the noble. Those are the things that are. Those are the thinking methods and, and, and avenues that are currently operating openly in the world. All the world sees them. Looks at them, sees them, understands them, boom. They're the things that are. They're in place right now. They're functioning right now. They're held in high regard right now in the world, in the education system, and in the religious system. Boom, they are. God says, I'm not in that. I don't work that way. I'm going to take things that are not, and I'm going to bring the naught, all of that. What did he say back there in verse uh, 19? For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding. Destroy, and I'm going to destroy that. And every time we preach Christ, every time we give the gospel, every time we talk about right division, dispensational, you know what we're doing? We're destroying the human viewpoint. And God says, I'm working in that. So then what, what does the things that are not talk about? So the things that are, that's the course of the world, the system out there. Though Everybody sees that. Do they exist or don't they exist? Well, again, how are you going to think about this? In the verse, in what sense, in the context here, are they not? It doesn't mean they don't exist. Look over with me at Hebrews 11. Just give you an illustration of this. Hebrews 11. And then we'll go back to 2 Corinthians 4. If I don't get there, remind me, okay? Hebrews 11. What Paul is ma- what God is using, what Paul is refer- references is what God is doing today isn't being acknowledged by the world system. When the world hears the preaching of the cross, what do they think it is? Foolishness, weak, despised, base. So the world out there doesn't see the preaching of the cross. So it's what? The things that are not. But with God, what it does exist, doesn't it? Yeah, it's there. Look at Hebrews 11. Look at verse 1. 
Now think about faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things, what? Not seen. Is faith real? Yes. But it's the evidence of stuff that's what? Not seen. Remember Romans 10, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, faith has nothing to do with you. Rather, faith is based upon someone telling us about something not seen. You can't see it, but it's there. Come back to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. You see, we, faith, the, the object of your faith is where the merit lies. Not whether you have it or not. It's the object of it. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. Look at verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. By the way, the things here, when we get over here, will be human wisdom. It'll be the stuff we're talking about here in chapter 1, because Paul's wrapping it up in this section, because in chapter 5 he moves on. The things which are seen are what? Temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So he says down in 5.7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So the things that are, everything you can see out there, God says, I'm destroying that. I'm bringing all of that to naught by things you can't see unless you have what? Faith. Faith in what I'm telling you, I'm doing, and how I'm doing it. In light of how the world is pursuing truth, how they perceive truth, they need to see it. Eye gate, ear gate, heart gate, all of those empirical evidence coming in, flowing in. I told you, I said it before, I'll tell you again, a man with an experience will beat a man with a verse every day. Why? Because of that object of faith, that issue of faith. You see, God, come back to chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 1. God has chosen the path of faith. Faith de de defies the way the world seeks truth because faith is going to rely upon the claim that God makes about the cross, about who you are in Christ, and about the things that are coming your way. So faith does what? We rest in the Word of God, don't we? How do you know that you're blessed with all spiritual blessing? Because Ephesians 1 tells you. And you do what? You trust that. You believe it. You, you walk by faith. How do you know that you're never going to see a day of wrath in your life, in time or eternally? Because we have been saved from the wrath to come. How do you know that? Because the book says, how do you know you have the sealing of the Holy Spirit? Because Ephesians 1 tells you that, see? You, other, otherwise, you could nev would never know because you don't get the heebie-jeebies in the, in the tickle down the spine. He doesn't work that way. That's the world. That's the wisdom of words that's used, the good words and fair speeches. He says, Here, here's, here's where you're going to rest. You're resting in God's word. By the way, that's why you need to know you have it in the King James Bible, okay? Because if you don't know you have it, then guess where you can't rest in what God said to you? That's why the Bible issue is an issue. 
Even though we don't like to make it an issue, it needs to be that. Why? Because God, when you read this book, you're reading God. God is reading you. Hebrews 4, he's, he's a, divine, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. He gets you. And that's what's going on here. Why? Because God is functioning and God tells us in his word how he's working. No one using human wisdom will ever discover God. Because human wisdom says, that's a mythical book. It's a book full of stories. And it's not true. And you sit there, yes, it is. You know, and they just look at you like a fool, a rabid dog on the end of a chain. You know, it's just nuts. You see, God, and by the way, God's fixed it this way on purpose. God's fixed it the only for you and I, for mankind, the only way to know him is for you to believe what he's telling you about himself. God revealed himself. Again, chapter 2 there, verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Prior to the work product of the, of the Godhead, of the Holy Spirit, member of the Godhead, is the Word of God being written. So when you come back into chapter 1, the things which are not, that's that walk of faith. That's that path of faith. That's why in Romans we learn that it's by faith without the deeds of the law. It's faith. But faith in what? Faith in what God has said to you and I. Revealed to us to bring to naught the things that are. That's all of that out there in the world that you see. Then he says, verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And that's why he says, verse 29, no one can brag. I figured out how to get to God. And if you want to know it, you got to pay me a monthly subscription, and I'll let you know. And oh, by the way, it's, a, it's expensive for me to tell you. So you think of a dollar number, and we'll just add a zero, and that's what it'll be. No one can do that. No flesh should glory in his presence. No one has an advantage over anyone else. The only way to discover God is to come to God God's way. And I, I'm going to tell you what, that's a glorious thing. Because no one then has an advantage over anyone else. That The song we sing, the... The ground is level at the foot of the cross. No one stands higher than I. No king, no, it's all level. And the only way that you gain an advantage over anyone is to come by faith to God, God's way. Studying God's word, God's way. Looking at things the way God would have us look at it. And again, that path of faith. Verse 27, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which that, that are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. It's that path of faith. The world sits there and says it's foolish to believe. In a book written 2,000 years ago or better, actually longer than that, 
It's foolish to believe in a book that's full of myth, legend, fantasy. We all know that the sun couldn't stand still. We know that, right? It's just scientifically impossible. Yeah, but with God, all things are possible. But see, you have to read the book. You believe in a mythical God who claims to have given his son. By the way, he's a religious reject. He was a heretic. Don't you read the Don't you read Josephus and the historians? That he died for humanity's sin? Really? And because you believe, you get to go to heaven? What kind of nonsense is that? See, that's the things that are. And and the Lord says, Paul says, no, I'm going to use all of what you just said was foolishness to confound and destroy human wisdom. The worldview, again, what's foolish? It's the world's view about the content of the gospel, the content of the preaching of the cross. It's only with the eyes of faith. And again, that's the end of verse 28 and 29 there. If I tell you, we're good to go. Now, come over to Colossians chapter 3. Just kind of think about this. Colossians chapter number 3. Because... And by the way, well, Colossians 3, uh, verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now, think about verse 3. And thinking about bringing the things that are to naught by the things that are not. And that issue of the eyes of faith. When he says, your life is hid with Christ in God. If something is hid, is it see, can you see it? Okay. If I told you I have a $100 bill in the top drawer of my desk, all right, is that hid? Well, it's in the top drawer, but you know about it. Now, by the way, I don't, first of all, I don't have a top drawer. Second of all, I sure don't have a $100 bill, <laughs> okay? All right? But if you were to walk into my office and look, you wouldn't see it, would you? Because it's in the drawer. But I just told you where it was. So it's not really hid, is it? When the, because with the eyes of faith, what do you know? My life is hid, where? With Christ in God, but my life is right out here. You can see it. You see, see the, it's the, if I tell you something, if I tell, and that's what God's doing. I am telling you, chapter 1, verse 30, we'll pick up here next time, chapter, 1 Corinthians 1, 30, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. I am telling you, God says, about the fellowship that we're having, the things we're sharing in common with the Son. You have it. So guess what? The eyes of faith, it's no longer hid, but when the world comes and look at it, it's tomfoolery. What are you doing? There's no understanding of it. 
by the way, in Colossians there, if, if you come back into chapter 2, so when, in, in 1 Corinthians 1, and again, we'll, we'll pick up in verse 30 and 31, he just made known unto us who Christ is. He's our everything, isn't he? He's our wisdom, our righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. So it's not hid in that you can't find it or know it. It's what? It's hid, and the way that you see it is by the eyes of faith. Colossians 2, look at verse 3. In whom, verse 2, that, your hearts, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. Where is all my wisdom going to be? It's in Christ. How do, but how do I know that? This book has been around for a very long time. <laughs> okay? The scriptures have been there since Paul penned it. It's not a hidden thing. How do I know it's there? I that eyes of faith. He's come back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 8. Wherein wherein he, that's the Father, hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He's, about, he's made it known, but I have to come how? How he made it known, not how my human thought process is. So when you go back to 1 Corinthians 1, that's what Paul's getting at here. Corinth, here's the avenues of the opposition. The avenues of the Jews, the Greeks, the wise, the noble, the mighty. Here's this, and all of they're doing is leading everyone to their own abilities, their own capabilities to come to know God. And God says, I'm going to destroy all that. I'm going to bring it all to naught. And how I'm going to do it is I'm, I am emphasizing the very things that the world says is foolish. It's weak. It's base. It's despised. The content of believing that I would send my son, and he would die. And by the way, he's a dead Jew, no less. But if you believe and trust him, then guess what? You'll have eternal life. And the world says that's just foolishness. It doesn't match our rationale. It doesn't even match logic. And God says, yes, it does. It's just my logic, not yours. So then he says, verse 30, but of him are ye in Christ. And again, now he's going to, Tell us what he has made known and our fellowship, our calling in Christ. And again, it has, again, not to justification, but to our life and to, to the things that we're to do in life. The Corinthians are way beyond Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Okay? They're over in a bad walk, bad behavior. You and I can get there too by following the human viewpoint, the human wisdom, the wisdom of this world. And Paul's rebuking them. Actually, this is heavy reproof, heavy rebuke. I told you when we started the book, the first nine verses are all wonderful, soft. And then in verse 10, he just knocks them upside the head. Now it's on, okay? Now I beseech you. I mean, he's on them now. Why? Because they're operating. They're not walking by faith. They're walking by sight. Okay, now we'll pick up in verse 30 uh, next week, and we'll spend about four weeks in there because you've got to look at each one of these. 
because that's where the protection of understanding what's happening comes from. How do I protect myself against falling for human wisdom? Then I know that God has made unto us, who? Jesus Christ. God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And that's where my focus is. Not over here in me getting the glory, but in him getting the glory. By the way, if he gets the glory, then ultimately what do I get? The glory. But man doesn't think that. Man thinks if you look weak, then you're what? You're weak. God says, no. Look at 2 Corinthians 12. Sorry, I was going to let you out early, but you kept letting me talk. So 2 Corinthians 12. Look at verse Nine, verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. He's got the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. Paul three times asked the Lord, verse 9, And he said unto me, By the way, that's the answer to all your prayers. What does God say to me? What does the word of God say to me about whatever is going on in your prayer life? Now, here to Paul, he says what? My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect where? In weakness. You see, the answer to you and I sometimes is my grace is sufficient. Because when you're weak, then what my strength is made perfect. My strength comes to some maturity in your life. My strength, what, who I have made you in Christ, what I'm blessing you with, what I've done for you because of Cal, now becomes a more mature thought process. See, what the Lord's doing here with Paul is he's smacking him upside the back of the head saying, get your thinking straight. Get out of bad thinking. Get over here and remember. That's why Paul then says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I what? Strong. You see, the mindset of the world is, is if you're being persecuted and infirmities and reproaches and necessities and distresses, then you are weak and you're, you're, you're a weakling. You're a sheep being led to the slaughter. God says, wrong way to think about it. What you think about is when you're in those conditions, because that's how life put you, you're not a sheep going to the slaughter. You're a more than conqueror through him that loved us. You need to be thinking about how I look at this and how I view this. And that's what Paul's getting at. Their thinking is wrong. They think because they look weak, then they are what? They're weak. God says, no, when you're in that situation, man, to me, you're right where I need you to be. So then you do what? You turn and you say, okay, Lord, help. And he says, I'm glad you asked, and here comes the help. Okay? It's a spiritual thing. The world looks at the outward. They see this little church building. They, don't, they have no idea what's going on inside of it. I, always, I drive by it. I go, oh, the little church that, that could <laughs> and that does, you know, the little, okay? Why? Because we do so much more in the spiritual realm. The world sees it and just, you know, there they are again, those goofballs. They have no clue what it's doing spiritually, okay? 
All right, we'll pick up in verse 30 next time. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your Son, for the all spiritual blessings, for the completeness, for all the wisdom and the prudence and the knowledge and the understanding that you've given to us. And Lord, I just pray that we would comprehend it with all the saints. We would rejoice in it and we would have it be reflected out in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. All right, come back here at 11.